I think a lot of new homeschoolers come into homeschooling thinking, okay, I have to be the teacher and that means I have to do this whole extra job. I've got to pre-plan, like micromanage and uh, document and outline every single minute of my child's day so that I know that they're receiving a quality education. And that alone makes parents feel super overwhelmed and it is a path to failure. <laughs> uh, and so I, I you know, I, I see this myth just in the, the conversations that I have with parents over and over. Welcome to The Momologist, a mom's best resource, where we take mama knows best to a whole new level. The Momologist podcast uncovers information and advice straight from the experts. From innovative theories to controversial claims, and even the familiar hot topics, we're here to put a magnifying glass on it all by interviewing industry leaders and specialists in their field. I'm your host, Sasha Culpepper, a parenting podcaster and digital creator, mommy of two little boys, and a complete mom nerd. For more information about The Momologist, visit our website at theofficialmomologist.com. According to the National Home Education Research Institute for the school year 2020 to 2021, there were about 3.7 million homeschool students in grades K through 12 in the United States, up from 2.5 million in spring 2019. It may be the fastest growing form of education in the United States. Home-based education has also been growing around the world in many other nations, such as Australia, Canada, France, Hungary, Japan, Kenya, Russia, Mexico, South Korea, Thailand, and the UK. Obviously, the pandemic has sparked more interest by parents in exploring homeschooling their children, but the trend was already in motion. If you want homeschooling to work, you have to be ready to experiment, fail, and experiment again. You must commit to education being an inseparable component of your relationship with your child. School is not a place, it is a journey. It doesn't begin when your child reaches school age. It starts at conception. These words of inspiration come from this week's guest, Aubrey Hargis, a Montessori parent educator best known for her empathetic approach and appreciation for the magic of childhood. In this conversation, we discuss some common myths and misconceptions about homeschooling, what potential homeschooling parents should avoid in preparing to homeschool their child, general tips for parents considering homeschooling, including various educational methods in homeschooling, and the concept of re-parenting. We also discuss why Montessori is a natural fit for homeschoolers. As a lifelong Montessori advocate, former public school teacher, and AMS-certified Lower Elementary Guide, Aubrey's passion has always been to bring Montessori into the mainstream. She has written two child development books, Baby's First Year Milestones and Toddler Discipline for Every Age and Stage. She is the lead instructor for all of the Child of the Redwoods' current programs. Her big dream? To make Montessori affordable and accessible to parents all over the world. Without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to the Momologist, everyone. This is Sasha Culpepper. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are joined by Aubrey Hargis. Aubrey, thank you so much for joining us. I love it. I'm so happy to be here. 
Wonderful. Well, today, guys, we are going to be speaking about homeschooling, and we will also be delving into homeschooling using the Montessori method. Aubrey is someone that if you are researching anything in the Montessori space and the homeschooling space, there's no doubt that you're, you've more than likely come across <laughs> her wonderful programs that she has. That's how I learned about Aubrey, um, is in delving in, doing research from my kids. And um, particularly on the homeschooling front, where, you know, we've had so much change over the last couple years, Aubrey, I'm sure you can attest to the shift um, that a lot of families are seeing right now, um, you know, with trying to keep up with schooling and just have, Mm -hmm. you know, have their own hand in their children's education over these last couple of years. Things have been so helter skelter. And I know a lot of parents have, you know, in order to counterbalance that have become much more involved in their children's education. So I'm very excited to get started on this. I know this is going to help to answer a lot of questions for people. But Aubrey, can you first get us started on um, a little bit of background on your end um, as it pertains to the education side as well? um, And, you know, how you came into the homeschooling space and Montessori space as well. Sure. Yeah. Well, um, to start, I kind of grew up in a Montessori environment. My mother was a Montessori teacher. So were all of her friends. Um, and all of my, my friends all went to the little Montessori schools, uh, in our, our small Texas town. So, um, mostly it was a very homeschool like situation because the schools Mm -hmm. were not big, fancy Montessori private schools. They were like little home-like environments. Um, Mm -hmm. And I went to several of them until I transitioned into public schools in my area around fourth grade. Um, And from there, just with this grounding in Montessori, uh, being able to see how different my own education was in those early years compared to the education that I received when I joined the public schools in my area, which were very traditional uh, Mm -hmm. type of teaching. Um, I knew that I wanted to go into education myself. Uh, I was very inspired by Maria Montessori, just Mm -hmm. as a person, uh, as somebody who was willing to, willing to challenge the status quo. And Mm -hmm. so I spent my earlier part of my career in public school education myself. So I went and became a public school teacher. I taught mostly kindergarten, but I also Mm -hmm. taught fourth grade, third grade, second grade. Um, Yeah, yeah, kind of a range. I I ended up in kindergarten mostly because I felt like that was where I was given the most freedom to use Montessori techniques in a traditional mm-hmm. environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of became known as uh, if your kid goes to Montessori, try to get try to get your kid into Aubrey's class you know, because they could kind of continue the experience um, mm-hmm. in public school. Um, and from there, I knew that I wanted to have kids of my own. Mm-hmm. And when I was kind of felt like we were getting ready to have kids, um, you know, suddenly it, it felt like I was going to have to make some hard decisions about where to send them to school because mm-hmm. I love Montessori so much. 
And I also believe so strongly that Montessori education should not just be part of a private school experience, that it should really be something that everybody can do, um, mm-hmm. no matter you know what kind of school they go to, whether they're at home. Um, you know, I, I just think Montessori is so amazing. Like it really should just be mainstream. It should be everywhere. So, yes. um, so yeah. So then I just decided to stay home with my kids for a little bit, uh, and then when they got to school age, we just decided to continue it. So I've been uh, a homeschooler as long as my kids have been born. So that's about 14 years now. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you count that homes, if you say homeschooling begins at birth, like education really begins at birth, then Mm -hmm. it's been 14 years for me. And we're still going along on this Montessori homeschooling journey. And we love it. I love that. Um, Yeah, that's something that has stuck with me um, in reading one of the articles um, on your blog, on your website, is that, you know, education really begins from the time, you know, that your kids exist, really, um, as as soon as they're born, they learn so much. And, and I know you've also mentioned that you're your kids first teacher. And I think that's so powerful when you really change your perspective if you don't look at it that way already to really think about it from that perspective is very powerful especially for parents who may not feel like their teacher material or that they're a good teacher I think that's one of the huge things I love about your program is you really help to instill that confidence and just that realization in parents of you're already doing this right Um, it's really just to figure out (laughs) a framework at that point. Um, and so we'll definitely delve into framework, but you started your homeschooling, um, with your kids and then obviously you had your background in teaching. At what point did you decide to branch out to creating your own homeschool resources through Child of the Redwoods? And also, can you give us a little background about why you named it Child of the Redwoods? Sure. Well, I started out um, blogging became a thing, you know, it is kind of passing, you know, we're, uh, we don't really have the kind of old school mom blog culture that we did back when I was raising my children when they were little. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was a time when I think a lot of us were out there trying to find community in the online space, Mm -hmm. um, whereas it didn't really exist previously. Uh, And what I found when I started interacting online with other parents was that um, was that there were there were so many misconceptions about Montessori out there. Uh, And so many people who were out there trying to capitalize on Montessori education Mm -hmm. and make money from it in ways that were less than authentic or genuine. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my journey really started there. I just started writing about my own kids. And then I realized we've got a problem out there in the Montessori community. (laughs) We need to get more info, like real genuine information into the hands of parents. Um, And so for many years, I was um, not making money at it. It was not a business. It was really Mm -hmm. just Aubrey uh, doing, you know, I considered it, you know, I was homeschooling my kids full time then and Mm -hmm. I had littles and I really didn't want a full time job. You know, I didn't want to be taken away from my family at that point. I really wanted to be able to stay at home um, Mm -hmm. and be with them and just have this journey. And I was fortunate enough to be able to do that at that time. Um, 
And that, of course, meant, you know, making certain sacrifices for our family, you know, so that we were living on one income, you know, things were mm-hmm. not. I, I was not the parent who could go out and buy all of the shelves and all of the mm. pretty toys mm-hmm. and make a pretty beautiful environment. Like, yes. you know, we were pretty scrappy at that point. Um, but what I had was time with my kids and mm-hmm. that I felt like I... I have no regrets over that at oh, yeah, all. That's like we just learned how to, yeah, we learned how to do without. And so Child of the Redwoods kind of evolved over time. You know, I, um, I first, you know, just really threw myself into volunteering in the community, just like experience. I found myself being contacted by thousands of, of people, you know, over the, over a, a short amount of time, you know, people who mm-hmm. were really interested in Montessori and really wanted to make it work for their kids, but they were feeling frustrated because everything that was out there really seemed like it was curated for teachers in a classroom and not mm-hmm. necessarily, you know, in, in a, a format that would work for parents. So Child of the Redwoods was born um, it was born after I had created this massive Facebook group and realized mm. that, you know, that was something that was, uh, you know, it was, it was really exciting, you know, while Montessori 101 was active. Um, yeah. But eventually I realized that I was ready to work with people who were who are very serious and going to be more committed with Montessori and that I could do that most effectively by teaching through online courses. So mm-hmm. I teach a lot live, just like this. Um, mm-hmm. I love it. I feel like, uh, I feel like parents really deserve professional development in, in the same kind of high quality that teachers get when mm-hmm. they uh, study education. Um, and so it is my offering to the world. Child of the Redwoods was really the, the name of the company, I guess, was born um, because I... Well, I was born in the Redwoods. Oh, <laughs> Not wow. literally, of well, course. But I was <laughs> born. I was born up in Eureka, California, in the the middle of a heavy redwooded area uh-huh. in a tiny little town. Um, and my parents. Um, always loved it when they moved back to Texas when I was a toddler, which Mm -hmm. must have been really difficult for them to make such a big move. Mm -hmm. Um, But they loved nature so much. And they really just instilled me with this love of being as much as I could out in nature, appreciating nature and incorporating that into part of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we were able to move out here to California, I got to experience the redwoods and take lots of walks in them. And I Mm. realized that they are kind of these this this magical living organism on earth they are so mm-hmm. tall and they have such great wisdom and yet it takes them a long 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 time to grow mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i feel like that's a metaphor for us as parents that you know we the childhood it is magical and there's such wisdom in it yes. but also it takes such incredible patience and we have to be so protective of these little creatures while they are developing because it it really is going to take a long time for them to grow up i'm mm-hmm. sure you know adults that don't really seem fully like grown ups right, you know right. or or you know maybe you didn't really feel like a grown up until you became a mom mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. so it's just it, it, to me, it kind of just encapitalizes that. It capitalizes on that mystery. I guess encapsulates. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> a merge of those two words. It encapsulates <laughs> the mystery of childhood to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's wonderful, and and you make such a great point. You know, it, it, that growth period takes a long time. I mean, at the end of it, you feel like where did I'm sure where did the time go? But 
it's I think that's one of the really um I don't know, it's a beautiful thing, but it's also a scary thing with being a parent and teaching your kids is not really knowing when it's going to click or not really seeing the end result, right? You don't really see the person your child is ultimately going to grow into until it happens. I mean, you, yes. you you see them developing along the way, but you have to plant the seeds now and you have to, you know, nurture them and um, just follow the journey, right? And see where that leads. It's We can't tell the future. We can't see the future. Um, but I think it's, you know, again, it's one of those beautiful things where you you, you know you're planting the seeds, but you also have to have the patience to mm-hmm. just let those those things take root and grow as your child develops. So I think that's a wonderful metaphor, Aubrey. And I know you touched on professional development for parents. That is something so near and dear to my heart in so many different ways. I mean, even just down to like something, it's not simple. It's very important as um, car seat safety. I think there's so much education that can be had just in that one category. But if you take that concept and you apply that to various areas of parenting, um, that is so true. We need those opportunities. We need those resources. And that's why... You know, I even started um, uh, one of the reasons I even started the Momologist podcast, because I feel like there's so much out there to learn. And let me tell you, I would tell anyone, anyone that's listening as after I became a mom, I it would just be like, (laughs) I would just express everything I'm learning. And this is what I wanted to do. I realized that I wanted to share that information that I was gathering with all the moms that would be interested in this as well. So we are all learning along the way. These are the exact type of conversations we love to have as momologists. And I'm very excited to have you here for us to delve a little bit more into homeschooling so that our moms or any parents listening can figure out some ways to develop um, such an important skill and such an important area of our children's lives, right? How they're learning and particularly on the homeschooling front. Um, you touched on um, various misconceptions out there in the Montessori space, but we know overall for homeschooling, there's a lot of myths and misconceptions as a whole, as far as homeschooling goes. For sure. Let's let's delve into that a bit. Um, I think this will be very insightful for anyone who, who does have some myths, myths and misconceptions on their end, or this will also be some great... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Some some great tools for some of our parents who do homeschool to have in their arsenal. Can you get us started on what are, what are some of those myths and misconceptions out there? You, you got it. Yeah. So just off the top of my head, the first thing that comes to mind is that most brand new homeschoolers try to replicate a classroom environment at home. Mm. And to some extent, this This can work to some extent, like as in children need a space to do their work. Yes. Children need some art supplies. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, It's great to have some math manipulatives around so children can Mm -hmm. do their math. Yes. All of that is great. But um, when children are at home, they are mm-hmm. relaxed uh, or they want to be relaxed. They have a relationship with you and their other family members. They don't want to be, quote unquote, at school <laughs> while they're at home. Um, 
you know, and so I, I think a lot of new homeschoolers come into homeschooling thinking, okay, I have to be the teacher. And that means I have to do this whole extra job. I've got to pre-plan, like micromanage and uh, document and outline every single minute of my child's day so that I know that they're receiving a quality education. Mm-hmm. And that alone makes parents feel super overwhelmed. And it is a path to failure. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. And so I, I you know, I, I see this myth um, just, just in the, the conversations that I have with parents over and over, even parents that come to Montessori, which is a very follow the child and relaxed type of approach of education. But um, there's some there's something about the word school or, you know, homeschooling. It means like you're you've got to go the extra mile and you've got to, um, you know, have your child sitting at their desk doing all of this mounds of work, you know, or mm-hmm. you're not doing your job. And uh, the truth is that most homeschoolers don't homeschool all day. It just doesn't take that long Mm -hmm. to educate your child or to do the kind of direct teaching that they need. So Mm -hmm. if you think of a child in school for like seven, seven and a half hours during the day, not including after school programs, um, you're thinking, oh, that child must be in like top brain activity learning for seven hours a day. Right. That that is not true. There's so much downtime that happens naturally at school that parents aren't aware of. And it's Mm -hmm. not just the transitions, you know, between like, now we're going to go to the water fountain or now we're going to, you know, we're going to go to lunch. Um, It is like actually happening in the classroom. The teacher does not stand in front of the classroom and uh, and and talk to students all day, or even if they were, that wouldn't be healthy for them, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there is place for you to be inside this homeschool environment and to be just as you are, the parent that you already are. You and your child are just walking this education path together. You're going to be learning together, but you don't need to be so uptight about it. It doesn't have to be like a school. Mm-hmm. It can be an alternative form of education. Mm-hmm. So that's that's probably the biggest one is it just doesn't take as much time as people Mm -hmm. think it needs to take. And people always ask me, okay, Aubrey, exactly how much time does it take to homeschool? (laughs) If you were going to think about how much actual instruction should I be giving my child? I would Mm -hmm. say if you have a preschooler, you're really talking about just like maybe... 30 minutes to an hour of direct Mm. instruction a day, you know, and that Mm -hmm. would include like reading stories to your child. And, uh, you know, then you have another little transition time and maybe you give Mm. a very small lesson to your child, but mostly your child is engaged in unstructured playtime because that is what is developmentally appropriate at that age. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have a child who is older, um, we're talking like, lower elementary, you're learning like your actual crunch instructional time might be more like an hour and a half to three hours a day. That's Mm -hmm. totally manageable for most parents at home, even even working part time, like you can Mm -hmm. squeeze it in around other things. And it's very, very doable. So that that would be probably the number one thing that is on my mind right now. Oh, Oh, and so this is a close second. Um, We mostly don't spend a ton of time at home. (laughs) Mm. I know that this sounds funny, uh, but (laughs) homeschoolers actually don't school at home most of the time. They actually school uh, or, you know, learn about the world out and about in Mm -hmm. the world itself. Mm, lots of field, a lot more field trips than people realize. I love that. So many more. (laughs) Yes. 
that's that's wonderful and i think that that in itself is probably something very relieving for for many people to hear is you know you don't literally have to do it all at home a lot of that learning is done in the real world itself so thank you for sharing that i think i don't know i think there's just a lot to wrap your mind around after becoming a parent parent and even though we see children learning alongside us i don't think it clicks for everyone um for most maybe uh how absorbent the minds of these children are and you don't realize that they don't need a whole ton of instruction to begin to get it kids correct i don't we don't get we don't give them enough credit for how quickly and how easily they learn so i can totally understand why you might only need 30 minutes to an hour to teach these various right. concepts and you know you're switching it up daily so that helps too um but a lot of it as you mentioned i think it's just learned in the everyday ins and outs of just spending time with our children. So I think that is going to be very enlightening for some even just to hear that 30 minutes to an hour squeezing things in here and there. It doesn't have to be structured per se um, for your children to benefit from these various lessons that you might teach them in going about the homeschooling process. Now, I know one of the first steps you need to figure out before delving into the homeschooling process is exactly um, what type of method you might want to go about in in doing the homeschooling and teaching your children. Um, can you get us started with some of those theories of education that one might consider? Sure, sure. So I often recommend to do homeschoolers that they sit down and do some brainstorming. Um, we do this in my live session sometimes, <laughs> do a little bit of journaling. But literally, I would recommend to sit down and write down some of your family's values. What kinds of things do you believe about childhood? And what kind of things do you believe about what's important for your children to learn in their future? And that will kind of start to set you down a path of exploring different um, educational philosophies that might resonate with you. And mm -hmm. I would never say that you need to pick just one. Montessori mm -hmm. is one, you know, that it is a great educational philosophy, but by all means, you don't have to only do Montessori. Mm -hmm. There are so many more um, interesting methods out there that you can explore. Something that our family really enjoyed incorporating was Waldorf education. Mm -hmm. um, and what I what I kind of tended to do was I would I would get some books and I would kind of start exploring one particular method that seemed to really resonate with me. Let's say it's Montessori, um, mm -hmm. and then you start to meet other people who are interested in other methods. Mm -hmm. For example, I had a friend who was really into Waldorf. She had a Waldorf education just mm -hmm. as grounded as I did in Montessori. And she believed in it so, um, so passionately, just like I did with Montessori. And so we started just by having conversations about what was similar in our approach to education, what was different in our approach mm -hmm. to education. And what we found was there's a lot more, there were a lot more similarities than differences. We really, mm -hmm. when it came down to it, if we did that brainstorm list, um, mm -hmm. and we did it not by journaling, but by 
having conversations with each Mm -hmm. other, what we found were that we really both believed that one should follow the child in their learning, that children Mm -hmm. should have lots of varied, rich experiences in the world, um, that we should slow life down for them and not micromanage their time so much. So, you know, I think that if you um, if you just start to kind of get out there and start looking at some of these educational philosophies, you realize mm-hmm. that there's a lot of crossover between them. When mm-hmm. you're really looking at what's good for children, there's going to be naturally lots of crossover. But there mm-hmm. will be things that don't resonate with you. For example, with Waldorf, um, well, in Waldorf education, children aren't really taught to read until they're in elementary school. And Mm -hmm. as a Montessorian, I believe that children shouldn't have to learn to read Mm -hmm. when they are in preschool, but Mm -hmm. that if we can give them some tools to Mm -hmm. see if they might explore that as part of their journey, I think that's a great thing. And many children Mm -hmm. do learn to read when they are in preschool. Um, So that would be a difference, an example Mm -hmm. of a difference. Another great method to explore is Charlotte Mason. Charlotte Mm -hmm. Mason's advantage is that she herself, Charlotte, was a homeschooler. Um, She was an old-timey homeschooler. So there's a lot of, there's a big nostalgia piece to Charlotte Mason. If you're really into um, adorable, old-timey Victorian dresses Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and that sort of thing, like you probably love Charlotte Mason because it's very old school in that way. A lot of people Mm -hmm. find it a little more structured than Montessori or Waldorf. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the, the structured part of it that's not me so much. Like I really Mm -hmm. am leaning into the rhythm of the child. Mm -hmm. But what's great about Charlotte Mason is the emphasis on good literature. So she really, really emphasized that we should be bringing children great stories, um, you know, really good pieces of literature and not just Mm -hmm. giving them really boring fiction to read, like, you know, fictions that's just written for children in a very boring way. She really believed, Mm -hmm. she called it, I think she called it twaddle, (laughs) Mm. Uh, which is kind of a Charlotte Mason (laughs) word for like nonsense, right? Or like, (laughs) don't, don't bother with it. (laughs) Right, right. Um, And so I love that piece. And so why not incorporate that into my homeschool as well? And as you kind of go along studying, being a momologist, you know, Mm -hmm. in homeschooling, you're going to just start to be able to take the things that really resonate with you and create the homeschool method that is right for your family. Mm-hmm. Um, so a theory of education really begins like everything with research. Mm-hmm. Yes. And research is definitely what yeah. we love to do. <laughs> love to do yeah. best, love to do best here at the momologist. So yeah. So we touched on Charlotte Mason, obviously Montessori, there's Waldorf. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read there was something called um, eclectic education as well. Can oh, you tell us a little bit about yeah. eclectic education? Totally. Yeah. So, you know, when you, you know, so there there are just so many programs out there to help homeschoolers. You know, I think a lot of people come into homeschooling and they think, um, how am I going to know what to teach? <laughs> and mm-hmm. actually, the, the thing is, there's just so much out there. There's right. so many resources out there. There's so many curriculum programs out there. You just don't have to choose just one. Once you've kind of identified with an ideology, once mm-hmm. you kind of know, okay, like, these are the things that are resonating for me, It most of the homeschoolers I know do kind of just cherry pick different curriculums to try Mm -hmm. out at different times. And you don't have to feel like you are stuck on one, you know, Mm -hmm. um, 
every single year I reevaluate where we are with curriculum and I say, okay, like um, this one is working for us. This one I don't love so much. I'm going to try this new thing out. So we've probably Mm -hmm. tried, I don't know, three or four different little math curriculums in addition to what we normally do in Montessori. There's no must when it comes Mm -hmm. to homeschooling. You know, uh, you really can every single year just choose a different resource to use and kind of put it all together yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the one thing I really didn't talk about was unschooling though. Yeah. Um, unschooling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So unschooling is fabulous. I kind of tend to think of myself sometimes as a Montessori unschooler. You know, if you're an, if you're a radical unschooler, you're a hundred percent into it, there would be no such thing as, as a something unschooler because <laughs> uh, you're kind of in, in the unschooling community. If you are extreme in it, you're kind of, casting off the the entire concept of curriculum at all. You're saying, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're going to just let the child explore the environment. We don't need to do anything to the child in order to allow the child to do their work in Mm -hmm. that. And there is a release in that kind of of method, you know, in saying, I'm not going to get all uptight about curriculums. I'm not going to obsess about different, uh, you know, methods. I'm just going to see how things play out and really, really lean into the following of the child part. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that can blend really well with any of the other approaches. You know, a lot of the parents I know are a little bit unschooly and a little bit something else. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I also know people who are 100% so totally sold on unschooling and it works for them. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will say this, like those parents that say unschooling really works for them. It's not that they're just sitting back doing nothing. They are really out there in the world with their child. You know, they really take that, uh, the field trips, you know, really become the primary source. Mm -hmm. Um, The going to the library and pulling in as much literature as possible to expose their child to that really becomes the primary source for them as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's a wonderful approach that you can take with children. And it might be a really good approach to take in the beginning too, to just sit with things for a while and see mm-hmm. what naturally emerges. Um, and then over time, you kind of just get a vibe for this is the rhythm that we're looking for, or uh, this is the rhythm we're not looking for. It's right, not working right. for us. We need something else and we can identify which one uh, to try next. Yes. Yeah. But there's and just love- so many ways to go. So true. And I love that you identified the fact that, um, particularly with the unschooling, is it's not about not doing anything, right? You're following the child, you're seeing where they're thriving. And as you mentioned, you're seeing what's working and what's not working, and you're customizing an approach. That's one of the things that makes homeschooling such uh, a special process, right? Is everything is customized to your child and, you know, feeling like you just need to stick with one approach or the other is something you can really free yourself from. This is your classroom and not that you want it to feel like a classroom, right? We don't, we don't want you to feel too stressed about that. But I, I think that's one thing I love about the homeschooling process is it just allows you to really tailor everything to your child so that they can thrive in the best way possible. And following so the empowering. child is so it is, Yeah, it is. It, it, it really is. is. And for you to observe your child and see where their interests are are being taken and and where exactly, you know, 
think you can really help to encourage um, those areas of development too, I think is such an important thing. Um, what are some so we, we we touched on the theory of education, right? You're figuring out exactly mm-hmm. what works for you guys and realizing you're not stuck in it. This is not a structured thing. You're working on, you're tweaking different approaches um, based on what's working for your child. Let's delve into a couple tips, um, overall homeschooling tips for any parents mm-hmm. that are either considering homeschooling or in the thick of homeschooling. What are some general tips you can offer us um, as, someone who has all these wonderful programs and you're a homeschooler yourself, what are some tips that you feel would be helpful to parents at this time? I think it's really important for parents to realize that they are on this journey as well, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that your primary role isn't actually a teacher of your child. It actually is to be a participant in in Mm. your own homeschool. You know, if your child were in a classroom in a school, then they would have other people around them who are learning. And so I think it's really important to understand that you are going to not just be the person up at the front of your classroom talking. Your child actually needs to have role models of other people who are learning. And that is going to be one of your primary jobs as a homeschooling parent. Mm -hmm. Um, You and your child are a partner. (laughs) You're walking through this journey together. Uh, You are not directing everything. And there's going to be wild things that you can't control in this environment as well. Your child is going to rebel sometimes. They're not going to want to do their work sometimes. They're going to wake up in bad moods and the two of you together are going to have to figure out Mm -hmm. something that works for the two, you know, the two of you or the, the many of you, however many children are at home with you. Um, For me, it was two because I have two children at home Mm -hmm. and they weren't always in sync with each other. You know, sometimes one child was my homeschool teaching priority and I just let the other one play (laughs) because it's just, just needed. (laughs) And, and then sometimes it would, it would always flip back and kind of reverse. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Another thing that I think is really important is to know that you're not alone in this journey. There Mm -hmm. is a homeschooling community out there for you, wherever you are in the world. Um, If you can find a homeschooling community that is local, that is awesome. Maybe you'll meet your own Waldorf friend who can tell you Mm -hmm. all about their own education and how they love it and why they want to homeschool themselves Mm -hmm. uh, and to have that one-on-one connection. But many parents around the world don't have a solid homeschool local community. And if you don't, then second option would be to drive to one. A lot of the Mm -hmm. homeschoolers I know will actually drive about an hour to get to a a park day to play with other homeschoolers. And it's worth it. You take the whole day um, Mm -hmm. and make that socialization your priority. Make that Mm -hmm. connection, that community your priority. Third option, if you don't have that community anywhere in your vicinity, there is an online community just waiting for you. And there's Mm -hmm. so many of them. You know, I have one that I I reach a global audience with, but it's for sure not the only homeschooling community that is online. Mm -hmm. There are moms out there waiting to connect with you who have children who have similar ages, who are going through similar issues. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's up to you to reach out and be part of that community. Mm -hmm. Yes, we have so many resources at our fingertips today. And you know, while that can often be an overwhelming thing, it's also such a wonderful uh, you know, tool to have at your fingertips in the homeschooling world and really the, the mom world, period. I think the, 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 
the amount of Facebook groups that I came across after becoming a mom, I was in awe of just Mm -hmm. the whole world, the whole online world, especially like the Facebook groups. It's amazing. And it really is what you make it. It's, you know, what you participate in, the questions you ask, the people you meet. And I think that's such a great um, tip, Aubrey, is realizing that there is an online homeschool community um, that you can find that works for you and that you can use to organize those in-person, um, those in-person opportunities as well. So definitely taking advantage of that is great. Um, and any local learning resources, um, that you might be able to utilize as well. How about, um, the educational research and trends, what are some good ways for parents to stay up to date on that end as far as homeschooling goes? Well, you know, unlike other professions, there is no certification to become a mom or mm. <laughs> uh, to even to homeschool either, you know, and, mm-hmm. and some people find that that is intimidating, you know, mm-hmm. because there's no actual training out there that's that's usually required, at least in most most areas, you know, sometimes there are local requirements in order to homeschool in your area. And that varies across the United States and in over the world. So I can't mm-hmm. really speak to those specifications. But I can mm-hmm. say in general, um, there's really no degree in homeschooling. Mm-hmm. So what is our alternative? Our, our, our alternative is to take that initiative ourselves and get mm-hmm. trained ourselves. And what does mm-hmm. it mean to get trained? Um, it means to find mentors. It it means to be proactive and do reading about the kind of educational methods that are resonating with you. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like a spider web. You start in one place and then you start to tangent out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really is on the onus of the homeschooling parent to do that themselves. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I I really feel like the best way is to just start making those connections, meet mm-hmm. other homeschooling parents, find out where they're getting their information from, and then mm-hmm. just start um, finding the mentors that are really resonating with you. Yeah, so true. I think delving into those communities, uh, you'd be surprised how much you learn just from or glean from other parents and seeing various discussions and hearing about one method and someone saying, oh, I didn't know about this method. And, you know, it kind of just sparking all these various conversations. So that's that's so true. Just have just having that connection to those communities, you end up learning a lot. (laughs) That actually goes back to one of the homeschooling myths that we didn't really mention, which is that homeschoolers tend to be very isolated, Mm. um, that they tend to not be super educated people. Mm -hmm. uh, And I have just found the absolute opposite. In fact, when I joined the homeschooling community, I was absolutely shocked at how Mm -hmm. smart everyone was. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, these are not people who are like sequestering themselves outside of society. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, these are like people with really interesting stories and interesting careers and Mm -hmm. uh, who are really, um, I just, you know, I just think it's just thrilling. The the current modern homeschooler, you know, is Mm -hmm. is very well connected and is intentionally educated, you know, uh, whether they have a, a bachelor's degree or not, 
-hmm. you know, I'm not saying you have to have a graduate degree to homeschool, but Mm -hmm. I am saying that you have to be invested in your own education. You know, it's just like in order to be effective at it. Um, And then you're going to fit into the community really, really well. And you're just going to find so much collective wisdom there. You know, so uh, I think that homeschoolers tend to be a little skeptical of outside sources that Mm -hmm. don't speak from the homeschool perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is a valid skepticism. You know, I, I, myself, I look for, I'll give you this tip. When I look for curriculum online, Mm -hmm. uh, one of the first things I look for was who created this? Mm. Is it just some, you know, sometimes the curriculum is created by a curriculum that's created for for schools. And then they were just like, oh, hey, homeschooling could be a good market. I'll just Mm. market my stuff to them instead of teachers, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a warning flag for me. That's like a red flag. Um, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, okay, they're in this for the money. They don't Mm -hmm. actually know about homeschooling because homeschooling is special. It's different. It's, you know, and, and you really start to understand that when you get into the community and you start talking to the parents who are the actual homeschoolers, you realize that there are things that we know about education that Mm -hmm. maybe aren't necessarily the same things that educators know out in the teaching profession. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is definitely something that I look for. I go and I say, okay, where can I find information that was Mm -hmm. written for homeschoolers by homeschoolers? And that's one way that I know that the information is actually going to be more trustworthy. Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up. Just understanding <laughs> the the history behind what you're teaching and the the reasons behind why the curriculum is set up a certain way or whatnot, making sure that all of that has, you know, those true and authentic intentions, as you mentioned. Another myth um, that Actually, you hear about whether or not you're even a parent. Um, I this is something I used to hear about, or I guess um, that I caught on to somewhere or the other. I don't know if it was through TV or conversations. Is that um, homeschoolers are not as socialized um, mm-hmm. as um, you know kids who are going to tradition who are in traditional school settings? Can you speak to that? Because I know that's a very popular one. Sure. Um, you know, with with whether or not you want to homeschool your child. I know for some parents, that's something they might be worried about is the social aspect. Yeah. So I'm just going to start with this by saying that homeschoolers tend to be excessively social. (laughs) I heard the exact same thing. (laughs) Like excessively. Um, Most homeschool parents are so aware that their Mm. children are not constantly around same age peer groups that Mm -hmm. they go way out of their way to make sure that there are play dates, that there are, um, you know, social situations Mm -hmm. Um, in the, you know, I can't speak for every single community, but in the homes, the places that I have homeschooled, uh, which includes Texas, um, Alexandria, Virginia, and San Francisco, Mm -hmm. uh, what we have, we call park days. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's where it's like a standard, like a day of the week that homeschoolers get together in your city, you know, or Mm -hmm. in your area. Uh, And most homeschoolers base the rest of their schedule around that single day, because like Mm -hmm. that is the day to get together with friends, to Mm -hmm. make connections. And then during the other times, you know, those are really times to get together together. 
with one or two friends, maybe invite somebody over to your house or Mm -hmm. go to some outside classes. You know, Mm -hmm. I, you know, of course, living in the city, you know, I have been privileged to be able to access our, um, our larger resources, you know, after school mm-hmm. classes, those are all things that homeschoolers still attend. Most mm-hmm. of the homeschoolers that I know are not just staying at home by themselves. Mm. You know, their kids are also doing all those after school activities, you know, and, and, and more. There are often homeschooler uh, activities that you might attend um, before excuse me, before COVID, (laughs) because COVID really affected homeschooling too. You know, the Mm -hmm. homeschoolers were not exempt from the effects of, um, of the isolation that we all experienced during COVID. You know, our park days shut down, our, Mm. our classes were no longer available. You know, Mm -hmm. our, our friends couldn't come over. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and we, we, as a community are still just starting to really explore and re-enter society just like everyone else. Mm -hmm, Um, So mm -hmm. it definitely affected us. But if I think to my pre-COVID homeschooling days, Mm -hmm. we had very active schedules. My kids were around other kids a lot. Um, You know, so in a typical week, you know, I might, uh, we might have karate class and then Mm -hmm. we have a homeschool chess class in the morning the next day. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then it's park day the next day. And then the next day after that, we go and have Spanish at a friend's house, you know, who lives an hour away. So we drive. Um, And then the the next day after that is like the day off because I'm tired of driving. (laughs) We just need to like have a day at home, you know, Mm -hmm. but for the most part, most of the homeschoolers lead kind of busy lives like that. They're active, Mm -hmm. they're out, their children are engaged in the community. And if there aren't, you know, just a big classroom full of kids around for your kids to interact with, you have to think socialization includes so much more than that. Mm -hmm. To be a social person doesn't mean that you have to be friends with another three-year-old or Mm four-year-old your exact age and to see them every single day. You Mm -hmm. know, time with grandma counts. Time, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, interacting with the people at the post office counts. If you can get to a restaurant, Mm -hmm. uh, learning restaurant behavior and interacting and telling your order like all of that counts as socialization when mm-hmm. we actually look at what humans need to to be able to do when they're adults um we want them to be able to look someone else in the eyes and have compassion and love uh, mm-hmm. at their heart and to have genuine interest in their community and, and in other people and i think it it is silly to think that we can only teach that one way. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. yes, they can learn it at school, but there's absolutely no reason why they can't learn it in another um, type of learning environment. Yes, that is so true, Aubrey. And and I, as you mentioned, you know, you spend so much time outside the house. So it totally makes sense that something like a pandemic would deeply affect affect you. You know, that's your your classroom is the world. And when the world shuts sure. down, that, that definitely <laughs> makes a huge difference for homeschoolers. So I totally that's get right. that. Um let's let's talk a little bit on the parenting side of things, um, like the parent themselves. Mm-hmm. One of the tips that I read about or you recently had an event about um, was reparenting. That is Mm. kind of a buzzword I've seen going around, um, particularly this last couple of months. I'm not sure why, if something sparked that um, as to why it's kind of surfacing the way it is right now. But can you um, explain the concept of reparenting? We're going through all these tips on how to homeschool your kids. 
But what about the parent themselves? What is what is a good yes. way for the parent to focus on themselves um, and nurture themselves? And then also, can you give us a little background on exactly what reparenting is as well? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, if you think about, if you think about this time of life, you know, you're, you're a mom of a small child, this is a, a really dramatic time of your life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Your brain is growing and changing so much during Mm -hmm. this time. Mm -hmm. It is really, and just this, the way that young children interact with the world with such innocence Mm -hmm. and gratitude and excitement, this I feel like is one of the special times of life Mm -hmm. when you can make big changes for yourself in your own behavior, in your attitude, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and so many parents do go through a process of rediscovering childhood themselves. Mm -hmm. And that necessarily involves reflecting on your own childhood. So when we talk about reparenting, we we were really talking about is looking back in your own childhood, thinking about the things, you know, the way that you were parented yourself, uh, the experiences that you had that were maybe negative, that maybe affected who you are as a person. And then this is a time period where you are being tender to that inner child. You're, you're being loving towards your former self, and you are taking the opportunity to learn how to treat yourself or how to think or behave in a different way. Um, Mm -hmm. So I just, I just, absolutely love the concept of reparenting. And you're right, it is. It's very popular right now. I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, especially right now during the stage of the pandemic, we're all kind of have been feeling a lot of introspective (laughs) introspection, right? This is a time Mm -hmm. when we are really leaning into Mm self-care and part of self-care is, is being more accepting of who we are as people and understanding ourselves better. Mm -hmm. So if we want to be Become better people if we want mm-hmm. to become more empathetic human beings and therefore better parents to our own children. Mm-hmm. We've got to first be a little bit kinder to ourselves, a little mm-hmm. more understanding of our own natures. And then we can start to re embrace the things that maybe we didn't have as children. We mm-hmm. can, uh, we can take this walk with our children through their life and as participants in it, you know, Mm -hmm. I, and I think that this is a real shift because often, you know, there's a kind of a stereotype of the parent who wants their child to have the childhood that they never had Mm themselves. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. often thought of as kind of in a negative way, right? We don't want to raise our children to become mini versions of ourselves. We cannot realize our own dreams through our children. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's not fair to them, Mm -hmm. but Um, by tweaking it, by saying, you know, instead, of course, we want to give our children the best childhood possible. Of course, we want everything wonderful to happen to them, you know, that maybe didn't happen to to us or Mm -hmm. for us. We want the best for them. Mm -hmm. But this is also a time period where we can nurture ourselves. And in fact, I think that this is super important for homeschoolers specifically, because this is a caregiving job. You know, Mm -hmm. homeschooling requires you to be a caregiver for a lot 
a lot more hours <laughs> than mm-hmm. you would be if you were sending your child to school or another right. daycare situation where they were not in your care. And so it is crucial that we tend ourselves. It's crucial that we take this journey with compassion on our own parts and mm-hmm. make time for that introspection and that self-care and that self-love. Mm-hmm. And it's going to translate into better parenting for our children. Um, it is the long road. It's Mm -hmm. not easy. Mm -hmm. I work with a lot of parents who just find it really painful to dig into their own childhood. You know, the things that happened to them in the past were literally traumatic to them, Mm -hmm. you know, um, Mm And, uh, and I, I just have to say, you know, you don't have to do it all. You don't have to immerse yourself in fully in this journey. It's just one little step, one mm-hmm. little step of compassion at a time. And it's going mm-hmm. to lead you into being more compassionate with your child and understanding them better because you'll know yourself better. Yes. Oh my gosh. That is, that is so good. I'm glad, I'm glad we're touching on this. Um, as you mentioned on the self-care front a lot of people, particularly moms, um, I feel are really, as you mentioned, you're, we're starting to look more inward more often um, mm-hmm. during this time. And in doing so, you realize, you know, you being a better person allows you to be an even better mom and even better parent. Mm-hmm. And Teaching those skills as far as empathy goes, um, kindness, all of those things. It's so important for you to have a pulse on what's happening for you mentally. Um, And so this concept of reparenting, when I saw it come up, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is great. Um, Because we've already been preaching the self-care stuff, but sometimes it just takes shifting the perspective a bit for more people to resonate with something Um, So I love that concept. I feel like that's probably something you can have a whole episode on the reparenting concept, but I wanted to make make sure that we did touch on that. And um, so we've touched on quite quite a few things um, as far as like homeschooling tips and how how to be the best homeschooling parent um, as a actual mentor to your children, but also as inwardly as a person and how you think about yourself and what you're going through and how that's translating to how you are um, actually teaching your children. What are some things that uh, parents who are, you know, still considering homeschooling or whatnot that they should just avoid? I know we mentioned classrooms mm-hmm. and, and the, the issue with thinking things have to be really structured is not a good way to really start off the process because you don't want to burn yourself out. But are there any other things um, that we should avoid um, anyone that's considering homeschooling right now? Yeah. Okay. So, um, hmm. this is a tough one. Um, so I, I really am a firm believer that you kind of become, you know, like just like children absorb their environment, you know, it's not that we are immune to doing that ourselves. We, mm-hmm. we also absorb our environments. Um, and so who, who you are watching, who you mm-hmm. are following, this is going to affect how you feel about your own homeschooling. And I think that one of the things, one of the reasons, the ways that we can see this 
you know, the biggest way right now in our mm-hmm. modern world is on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I love Instagram because I love it when I get DMs. I love those personal connections. I love it when, you know, I'm in communication with people, especially mm-hmm. about Montessori. I just find it very exciting as a place to be. Mm-hmm. But I also, when I, every time I scroll my feed, I end up kind of feeling bad about myself. Mm. (laughs) I see other people's environments that are prettier and I see other people, you know, who have savvier looking businesses and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it just that Instagram is just, I mean, social media really is designed to make us want to click on things Mm -hmm. and to be kind of addicted to it. Mm -hmm. And also I'm not I am not convinced it's the healthiest place for us to be, even though it is a, it is one of the places where we can find mm-hmm. a homeschooling community to make those connections. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like, you know, if you really want to do this homeschooling thing and you want to be confident about it, get into Instagram and make your connections and meet your people and find the people that lift you up and make you feel good. And mm-hmm. then stay there and get off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and and remove yourself from mm-hmm. um, you know, especially if you start feeling like you're you're less than or inadequate. Um, there are homeschooling blogs that I just cannot go read because mm-hmm. it's just makes me feel like I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's an internal problem that really Aubrey just needs to step it up in and really feel like she is enough and be enough. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I am right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also know that there are there need to be some boundaries for me. And I have to, I have to know when I'm starting to feel that insecurity bubbling up and mm-hmm. to know that I need to remove myself from the situation for a while, focus on my own environment, focus on my own kids, mm-hmm. um, and just step, step out of that, you know, that virtual environment for a while. You know, yes. we, we try really, really hard in our community, in the Child of the Redwoods community. We have a private network. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't use Facebook because mm-hmm. it's so distracting right now. Um, and mm-hmm. there's so much thrown at parents. I really wanted to have a private environment. Um, mm-hmm. And even so, but, you know, even so, I mean, I think anywhere where you're seeing people posting pictures, it's potentially a place that you could start to have some negative feelings about mm-hmm. yourself. And mm-hmm. just know that that is normal. Mm-hmm. And that you have to take control of it. Yes. You know, you have to be the one to step away and to to find the value in what you are doing with your kids and really keep yourself grounded in the here and now, in the mm-hmm. present. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you touched on that. That is so true. It's, I think, just outside of the homeschooling um, circle, just in being a mom, a parent, and even if you're not a parent... Uh, Social media is something that, as you mentioned, you definitely have to have boundaries, healthy boundaries in place where you you go to you go on there to get what you need and you need to also know when to come off. And you're right. They do make it very um, addictive. Those dopamine hits are definitely there. Um, You know, these things are set set the way they are set for a reason and the aesthetics behind it, even from the Instagram side, definitely, um, leave, leave you wanting to do better for yourself, do better with whatever it is you're working (laughs) on. And it speaks volumes that even you as someone who is, you're a homeschooler and you have your own homeschool programs and you've, you know, you've been, um, 
a Montessorian for so long, even you can get on there and find things that make you feel like, come on, Aubrey, totally. what are you doing with your life? Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and so <laughs> it, speaks, <laughs> it speaks volumes that, you know, this, this is something that affects everyone. So we really have to have those boundaries in place. Um, and with Montessori, especially, I know it's very easy for parents or for moms to feel like you have to have all the pretty things, right? You, um, mm-hmm. you have to have those beautiful shelves in line and rotate, you know, regularly and, and have all everything just lined up beautifully. Um, let's delve into the Montessori side, because I know this is where you yeah. excel even more. So Aubrey, and, and we're, so, we're so happy to have you to speak on the Montessori co- uh, concept as far as homeschooling goes, what are some things parents may not, they may not know about Montessori at all? Okay. So I think that most modern parents are discovering Montessori on social media these days. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it used to be blogs, but now it seems to really be social media. Mm -hmm. And so it's a visual experience for them first. The first thing they see is the pretty shelves and the, you know, the children look very calm Mm -hmm. uh, and focused doing, you know, doing their little work and everything looks adorable too. And that's actually something I love about Montessori is that it's very cute. <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> it is. It is. I, I must I admit. It. <laughs> it is. It's so cute. Children are cute. Children are adorable. And, you know, the, the way they work is adorable. Little yes. tiny fingers are so cute. I just like, ah, oh, I'm just all puppy eyed yes. every just single time them I see focused, it. Seeing them mm-hmm. focused on, you know, a task at hand in itself and just, just yes. collected and focused. It's just, it's amazing. Yes. So I think that that's the first that's like, you know, and I kind of think of it as like the gateway to Montessori is Mm -hmm. uh, Montessori on social media, you know, and it's, it's, it's um, just like touching the surface of anything, but Montessori is actually so deep. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that the appeal for many people is that you can stay on the surface level, you know, you can call yourself a Montessori parent, and I'll tell you how to do that right now. All you have to do is get a shelf, put your toys on it. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) All right. And then, and then, yay, you've done it. You've taken the step. You're a Montessori parent. Um, you're good to go. And bonus points if you can get some little cute pictures from a thrift store and do a little Love bit it. of pouring. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that is how to do Montessori on the surface level. And I think that there's nothing wrong with that or nothing mm-hmm. wrong with starting there, you know, or even staying there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what you're doing is you're organizing your toys for your child so that they can see what's available to them mm-hmm. so that they can go and get the thing that they want as opposed mm-hmm. to putting them in a big junky bin or a toy box or, or something like that. And so that's mm-hmm. a great first step for parents when they discover Montessori. Mm-hmm. But the magic of Montessori is so much deeper. It actually happens in a non-visual way, which is why it's so hard to teach on Instagram. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's so hard, you know, and you can you can get it if you can find some Montessori parents who really understand the philosophy and start reading their captions. You're going to start really getting what Montessori is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it is, is it's what I think it comes down to is that full and total appreciation of childhood. 
Mm. If you uh, can learn how to observe this this precious little being that is growing and trust mm-hmm. and value this, this child um, and, and be patient and calm, you know, and peace at peace, that is where you're going to find the, the real Montessori lurking in the background. And that's just so hard to convey. Um, it's so hard to convey in social media and just pictures, you know, really just can't get that. Mm-hmm. So I, I tend to feel like the Montessori community online looks a lot more uptight than mm-hmm. it actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, the The beauty of Montessori is the the way that we walk through the life with the child. And I know that this sounds very ethereal, you know, mm. <laughs> like we're not putting a finger on exactly what it is, Aubrey, um, but it's <laughs> about the philosophy. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's, it's so important for anyone just delving into Montessori to realize that. And it's and unfortunately, it's something you, you, you probably won't realize off the bat because of all of the beautiful pictures we mentioned that you see as soon as you start researching yeah. it. But when you really start to delve into, um, you know, all the various books, which we, we will be sure to link a couple of your recommendations, Aubrey, towards the end on that. Once you start really reading those books and researching and even observing um, a little bit more, you realize that it is a very deep concept, um, a deep philosophy in how you're raising kids and how you're, you're teaching them to go about just their everyday activities in life. So thank you for outlining that. Yes. And I think um, there are specific mm-hmm. materials too mm-hmm. that we do use um, that, that I think that make that process more fun, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they can be, you know, you don't have to purchase them, but you can definitely do a lot of them yourself, put them mm-hmm. together. Um, but there is a, there is a method and a way that we interact with children um, that, you know, so I think that that really, I would say that there are like three stages for the Montessori parent, you know, go out mm-hmm. there and put a little shelf together and mm-hmm. get to know what Montessori looks like on the surface level and then dig deeper into the philosophy and learn to observe your child. And actually, the third step would be the curriculum itself, because mm-hmm. the Montessori method is a really strong way to teach children. And it has mm-hmm. very specific techniques that we use with children to um, not just present a lesson to them, Mm -hmm. but to evaluate, you know, how they're doing something and to bring them deeper into a concept. Mm -hmm. Um, So for an example of that would be one of my favorite materials is the golden beads. Mm -hmm. Um, We use these base 10 manipulatives in Montessori to teach mathematical concepts on a very concrete level. And so if we understand from the child development perspective, as momologists, you know, we're learning Mm -hmm. that we need to we need to give our children the kind of instruction that they need mm-hmm. at the right time in their development. And we know that young children especially need concrete materials. They need a hands-on approach. We can mm-hmm. basically take any abstract concept. And this is the mm-hmm. this is the real crux of Montessori is we can take any abstract concept out there and make it concrete for the child and the, let the child explore it on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that is the way the children really learn the best. And that's the mm-hmm. way you know, that is why we get very little children doing very complicated math problems or very little Mm -hmm. children who can read very well. Um, It's not that we're forcing them into this kind of academics. It's Mm -hmm. that we are making concrete 
all of the kind of things that you might learn later in life that are very abstract. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and I think all of that outlines exactly why it you mentioned that it's such a natural fit for homeschoolers. Um, you know, mm-hmm. obviously we've we've discussed various aspects um and theories of education on the homeschooling front, but can you delve in a little bit more on why you feel Montessori in itself um, is such a natural uh, fit for homeschoolers? Yeah, Montessori allows for a lot of flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, when you are a Montessori parent, you are seeing your child in a different way than you do if you are coming at education from a traditional um, a traditional perspective. Mm-hmm. So if one thing in Montessori that we value is we call it practical life. <laughs> so mm-hmm. this is where um, children learn to, young children especially, learn to do certain skills that are going to benefit them later in life. And so you can think of these most commonly as like household tasks. So mm-hmm. example, doing the dishes or taking out the trash mm-hmm. or folding laundry, all of the kind of stuff that typically a mom, <laughs> a staying at home mom mm-hmm. would naturally be doing inside the the, the home and environment. Um, mm-hmm. Stay-at-home dads as well, of course. <laughs> mm-hmm. But since this is momologist, I'm just going right. to focus on moms here. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, think of, you know, all of the, d- the daily things that you do in life. You know, what are you doing to help yourself get ready? What is involved in your own self-care? And so mm-hmm. if we start there with children, teaching them those lessons first, mm-hmm. then we can extend on into the kind of academic lessons that Montessori is kind of known for later on. Um, but it really, I think that that is probably what makes it such a beautiful transition for homeschooling. Mm-hmm. You know, in the, the Montessori classroom, Maria Montessori actually created a classroom based on home life. You know, she, you know, she wasn't a homeschooler herself. Mm-hmm. She was a mom. Mm-hmm. She didn't get to raise her child full time herself, but she did create a classroom that was as home-like as possible. Mm-hmm. And so she wanted everything for the little children um, to be there that they needed. She wanted little wash basins to be there so they could wash themselves. She wanted mm-hmm. comfy spaces so that they could sit and feel comfortable. They, she created, she actually was the one who created little teeny tiny chairs and tables. And I know mm-hmm. that's so silly to think about these days because like every <laughs> everywhere you go, there are going to be tiny little tables for children, right? right. Um, whether you're at a daycare or at Ikea or, you know, in a, a home environment, you're probably going to see a little toddler table if you have a toddler. Um, but she was the one who actually was really um, an advocate for mm-hmm. tiny furniture mm-hmm. so that children could feel at home and at peace in that little environment and feel like they were free to move that furniture around if they wanted to, you know, mm-hmm. they were allowed to really own their environment. And uh, if you think about that in contrast to a Montessori classroom today, uh, where things are, you know, it's, it's a beautiful environment. I love the Montessori classroom and I love Montessori schools, but they're, they're pretty different from homes, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And they have to artificially make the classroom feel more home-like, but you don't Mm -hmm. have to do that at home. At home, you know, it's already your home. It's already home-like. You don't really need to change a whole lot Mm -hmm. other than helping your child to find things that are, um, 
maybe more on their height. <laughs> you know, maybe you add mm-hmm. a step stool to your regular bathroom, or mm-hmm. uh, maybe you bring the silverware down low so your child can reach it themselves. So those are mm-hmm. the kind of little tweaks that we would need to make as Montessori homeschoolers with young children. Mm-hmm. But it also, I think that, um, I think you also can see why that would make it a super easy transition from being a Montessori parent, exploring Montessori to thinking of yourself as more of a Montessori homeschooler. Cause you're mm-hmm. already there. You're already in a home environment. Uh, right. Montessori is already capitalizing on that home like. Um, those home-like things that, mm-hmm. that make life so comfortable and interesting for little children, the freedom that is already there in your home. Mm-hmm. You don't really need to go and change in any way. You don't have to look at a classroom and, and say, okay, I want my home to become this classroom. Your mm-hmm. home is already your classroom. You know, it's mm-hmm. whatever you want to add. If you want to add a shelf to it, then add a shelf to it. If you want to mm-hmm. add um, a little live, little reading corner to your home, then add that to your home. Um, mm-hmm. But there is a real blend in Montessori between home environments and school environments already. Mm-hmm. I love that. And, you know, I think that is going to be so freeing for many. I mean, I've I've seen I've seen people go all out and create, bring the classroom home to them. Like literally everything that you would find um, at an actual Montessori school or at a, any school period, whether or not you're doing Montessori, they will get all the materials and create this actual classroom. Um, but if you're wanting to have a blend of the two, I think it's so relieving to realize, OK, you totally. don't you don't have to, you know, create this this space that doesn't look like home. You want it to have that blend. um, So there is that comfort level as well. And so that you are still teaching that real life in, in that real life environment. And that that is one of the great things about homeschooling is you're you're able to still utilize that environment that your child is already comfortable in and then just add what you need from there. So I think that's a great point, Aubrey. If there's yeah, one thing you know, a typical mm-hmm. yeah a no, typical sorry, Montessori environment. Mm-hmm. Um if you were to you're just thinking about parents who are creating the entire environment at home. Um, I just want to bring this to an affordability perspective yes. that um, typical Montessori school might invest ten to $30,000 worth in classroom equipment and materials. Wow. And if a parent can afford to do that, oh my goodness, like I am not judging that. Mm-hmm. Awesome for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's not for most of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's just right. not realistic for most of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and fortunately, and, you know, you don't have to, <laughs> right. you know, it's, it's great. Like if you can, if you have, if you have the privilege to be able to do that, then mm-hmm. oh, go run with it. That's awesome for you, girl. Right? right. But not, not for the rest of us. It like, it's, it's okay to not do that as well. You know, yes. you really just don't have to spend, um, really hardly any money on homeschooling at all, unless you have to, unless you have the money for it, mm-hmm. you know, you can spend as much as you want, but mm-hmm. really you can homeschool for very, very little, mm-hmm. you know, just as much as it, it costs to normally have children at home and feed them and care for them and clothe them anyway, you know, yes. um, there's no must in, in reduplicating everything mm-hmm. that a school can financially do mm-hmm. um, in your home. Yes, that's so crucial. And and even Maria Montessori herself, she 
she made so many of the materials herself. Um, and I think a lot of people may not realize that. And I think it's a, a huge takeaway to realize, you know, it's, you don't have to buy everything if you don't want to, yes. as you mentioned, if, if that's what you love, then absolutely um, go, go through and, and have fun with it. But um, you can also even have fun with making the materials yourself as well. So I think, um, you know, anyone that's listening to this, that's considering Montessori, I think that's a huge takeaway is to realize that there is so much flexibility um, on the homeschooling front and to have that flexibility if you're considering the Montessori um, educational method as well. It's, it's so much you can do with it and there's so much flexibility behind um, behind that method in itself. Aubrey, if there's one thing that you'd like our momologists considering homeschooling or in the middle of homeschooling to take away from this conversation, what would it be? Mm. Oh, I think that if, if there was one thing I would wish for you over anything else, it's for you to understand that you should not feel like you have to take this journey on with perfection. Mm. You know, that's a, that is the biggest hang up that I see um, for parents that, you know, are homeschooling, but also mm. just in the Montessori community in general is feeling like they have to create the perfect environment for their children or to behave in a perfect way with their children. And mm. there's just no such thing as that. <laughs> mm -hmm. So the more love that you can give yourself, the more self-tending that you can do in your regular life to mm -hmm. help you to feel um, okay with mm -hmm. being imperfect, I think the better. Yeah. And that's just going to give you a better experience homeschooling to see yourself as the learner too, mm -hmm. instead of the teacher. That's amazing. Um, that's a wonderful takeaway. Thank you so much for sharing that. Can you tell us a little bit more about um, some of the programs and workshops or any offerings that you currently have with Child of the Redwoods? Sure. Child of the Redwoods, we have three programs right now. Uh, the first one is Homeschool of the Redwoods Primary. It's our foundation program for children's ages two to six for mm -hmm. the parents of those children. It is not a set of manuals for you to download and read and do. It is a course. I go live to teach and there are pre-recorded videos to help you learn all about Montessori, the authentic, genuine Montessori. Um, I created this program to help parents to feel not just better about themselves and their mm -hmm. own journey to, but to feel confident that they were really giving their child the Montessori education that they really wanted to deliver. Um, the second program that we have to offer is our, our new lower elementary program, and that is for parents of ages children ages six to nine. Um, so it's our elementary program. And it's also a foundation program that we offer to really teach you about the Montessori method to mm -hmm. uh, help you to understand exactly like what to do. The mm -hmm. foundation programs are all about the curriculum. And the third one that we are offering that we've been uh, doing for at least, I think about a year and a half now is called Constellation. And it is actually a Montessori homeschooling community curriculum 
theme uh, program mm-hmm. where every single month we get to dive into a new theme. We give lesson plans. Um, so if you like, if you like a little bit more structure, uh, mm-hmm. that's a really great program to to investigate within our little community. We have a, a great community of parents who are happy to share what they're doing, and we all kind of dabble into the same themes together. Um, and it's just really fun. Yeah, I love what Wonderful. I do. So yes. if you're interested, you can come uh, take a look at childofthedredwoods.com forward slash free and you can get just um, some free printables and some examples of kind of the things that we do. Mm-hmm. And and let me tell you, the Constellation program, I think, is so wonderful <laughs> because if you are a parent that is wanting to do this homeschooling thing and you don't necessarily know where to start on, you know, even the lesson plan front. I think it's invaluable to to have that resource. And then, of course, as you mentioned, the online community is absolutely wonderful as well to have that aspect of balancing ideas off of other um, parents who are doing it and, and learning along the way. So, Aubrey, I think what you do is so special and you can definitely tell <laughs> that you love what you do. Um, and I always, I always say this, um, with my guests, you can always tell, uh, when someone has really poured their heart into something and that they're, they really just want to help parents out there. So thank you so much for everything that you offer to parents, um, on the homeschooling front. And of course the Montessori side as well, where can we stay updated on, um, offerings? I know you gave us the URL. Can you please give our listeners your, um, social media as well? Yeah, I am right now. I am mostly on Instagram mm-hmm. at child of the redwoods. Um, feel free to message me. Yeah, I handle my Instagram account right now, totally myself. Um, so it is me that you get awesome. <laughs> when you message me. You can also feel free to email me at hello at child of Um, I and my husband and my assistant, one of us will get back to you. Um, if you have any questions. Wonderful. Well, Aubrey, thank you so much for joining us today on The Momologist. Thank you so much. This is so fun. To learn more about Aubrey Hargis and programs offered by Child of the Redwoods, be sure to visit our show notes. If you got value from this conversation, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. And most importantly, let's be the village and share this with two or more parents you feel will benefit from this information. Thank you so much for joining us this week on The Momologist.